Um, you know, tonight's one of those nights where we just have a lot of different things going on. We've been gone for a couple of weeks in Israel, and then we had a guest speaker last week, John Bailey. Did you enjoy John and his ministry? Tremendous, tremendous ministry. And on Sunday, he actually opened up the altars and had people come down. I wish he would have done that Saturday night. I think he thought he was doing that when he said the altars are open. And I think he thought, you know, people are ready for whatever that means. And in our group, you have to say exactly what you want, you know. So I told him, I said, John, just say, They'll, they are an easy group to lead. But say what you want exactly, and they'll follow you. And on Sunday, they did, and tremendous. I, I know that they um, watch over the weekends. They're in the springs, but they consider this to be a place where they're fed from. And so I just wanted to thank John publicly, he and Krista, again, for their ministry. Um, one more uh, important thing. You might, you might think to yourself, you know, Pastor, you have such small pulpit time, and everything goes into it with baptisms this week, and... Um, you know, is this something that, that you should put before the teaching? Um, yeah. And let me tell you what this is. Um, we were fortunate. We went out to dinner last night with, with our board and spent time with some of the original board members. Now, not, they're not all original, but I've got a couple that have been here from the very beginning, from the very first meeting, even before the first meeting that we had. I had a couple of people that have walked with me the whole time. Um, and I'm not sure that every church would want to do it that way. I'm not sure that that's always the right way to do it. But I know in this case, what we had were two couples for sure who were dedicated to when we had nothing. We were meeting in a school where we're no storefront yet. We hadn't built the first building. Certainly weren't even thinking about this building. We had people that helped guide us and helped to get behind it. And um, Gene and Myra Camp, have served on the board here for over 20 years, 23 years to be exact. Can you believe that? 23 years. And Gene is getting ready to retire. And um, I, I, if I could keep him busy, I would for, for another 10 or 15 years for sure. But they, um, they have plans. Um, they, they, they don't know for sure yet, but probably somewhere around Florida maybe or somewhere where the winters aren't as rough as they are in Colorado, yes. And we were just talking about some of the good times. And I, 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 they didn't want me to do this. They did not want me to embarrass them. They didn't want to make a big deal out of it. They're kind of behind-the-scenes people. Myra even said, you're going to call our names. And people will go, who are you talking about? And I'm like, that's not true. People do know, especially people that have been around for a long period of time. Well, I want to give you two stories real quick about this couple and the kind of couple that they are. Um, when we built out the storefront, right? We're in a school for a year. We get a hold of a storefront. I'm not going to tell the, some miraculous how we got a hold of the storefront. But we had, I could not hire a construction company. It was just like, what labor could I find in the church to build? And guess, guess what pastors have to do at that time in their ministry? They build, man. They swing hammers and they go pick up drywall and you lay carpet. You do the whole thing. Gene's father uh, was a builder who could do the drawings for us. He did the drawings. We were able to submit the drawings and get the, the architectural stamp on them. And then for the most part, there were other people who helped for sure, but Gene and I every day would go down to the church and we would spend our time um, putting up the framing and putting up the drywall and building out the offices. And one time we had gone over to uh, the Home Depot right in Highlands Ranch at uh, Lucent and uh, what is it, Highlands Ranch Parkway right there. Gene had this big pickup truck, and we had picked up all of this heavy three-quarter inch 
um, board for the stage, right? And I think there was probably 30 pieces. It weighed the back of a three-quarter pickup truck down to the thing. And we thought, we don't have to tie this down. Just the weight alone <laughs> is going to be fine. And so right at Lucent and uh, Highlands Ranch Parkway, Gene takes off and all of the boards just go right out the back of the truck and onto the ground. I found out then what commitment was from a board member. You go through that with somebody. One other story, and there are many I could tell, but you know, there was a time when um, <laughs> uh, you know what it is today is not what it was then. And I had come uh, with no guarantee of salary, and I just asked the board, "Hey, would you could you see your way to match my salary for what it was when I left Resurrection?" And we didn't have enough money to do that, but I just thought I'll put it in place, and then if we ever get there. And in the meantime, we needed to start hiring people. And I remember uh, we needed to hire a worship pastor desperately. And, um, you know, we didn't have the money to do it. And so I went to the board and I said to the board, could you guys see your way to increase your tithe so that I could pay for one more person to come to work here? And Gene and Myra were the first couple who just said, Pastor, we're with you. Gene's motto in all of our board meeting was, you hear from God, John. How could we say no? And he's always just helped me with that. Myra's been such a friend to this church and to both of us. So, uh, Gene, I, how do you thank somebody that's been so good and so kind? And um, he let us know in the springtime that they were thinking about it was time to do something else. So, Gene, I... Can you help me? Can you take this card? You take that. Myra, that's the card. It's got good stuff for you. Gene, you get this lousy plaque is what... No, it's not a lousy plaque. It's, I'm kidding. It says founding board member uh, 1989 to 2022 presented to Mr. Gene Camp. Um, and then it just talks about all that you've done. And Gene, wherever you go and whatever you do, I hope this will mean something to you because it has meant something to us to give it to you. The card is not just for Myra, it's for both of you. It's our way of saying thank you. Maybe do something for your new house. Maybe do something for your children. They have a new grandbaby now that they're so excited about. Both of their children uh, were called to ministry here. Both have served on the staff here at different times. Both are in ministry now doing great things for the Lord. And we love the camps. And would you do me a favor and thank them for their service? Would you believe? Love you, 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 why did it do what it did at times? There's, there's a lot of different reasons. You can't go for one thing, one, one message, one, one person. It, it, it's been a village. It's been a lot of people, but Gina Myra, for sure, were part of that uh, taking place. Uh, Daniel had mentioned foundations, and Terry asked if I would give it a little caress. So let me just say very quickly, you know, really, if you are uh, new to your faith, or if you're, maybe you're not new to your faith, maybe you are really, you're strong in your faith, uh, at least like why you believe, like what you believe, but you, you would have trouble defending. Um, like if someone to ask you, why do you believe that? How do you know that the Bible is true? How do you know that God is moving today? That's what this class teaches. Here's what Terry put down here. A meal is included 
and I hear that Pastor Terry is cooking his popular brisket for the first meeting that is going on. If you've never had Terry's brisket, that is one reason to go for that right there. But I would encourage you with this. If you're looking for a place to spiritually grow, and if you've just said to the Lord, I'm looking for a way to grow. I need something that would help me in that. This is not just some boring class that you go to. You're going to do it in a group session. You get to ask questions. It's really interesting. It lasts for several weeks, but it's worth the commitment, and you will grow spiritually. Uh, you can go to the website or the app, but I think the best way is probably the website. Or, Terry, they could talk to you tonight, too, couldn't they? Or Daniel or Jake uh, to get more information and figure out how to sign up. Starts this week. And they're ready to go. Okay, uh, we're in a new series called The Unseen War. That's why I decided to title it The Unseen War. Going to talk about spiritual warfare for a few weeks. Um, and I, I'm just going to tell you right now, you, you might go, duh, pastor, uh, when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. But I, it, I call it The Unseen War because there's a war that we don't see. We have an enemy who skillfully works at staying hidden so that we end up fighting the wrong thing. We put our energy and our time in, at the wrong enemy. We think that flesh and blood is our enemy. We think that government is our enemy. We think that the world system is our enemy. And we get so uptight and we get so angry and we get so mad and we find ourselves fighting and frothing and being so angry at the wrong things. And the whole time the enemy stays hidden behind those things. And unless the Lord opens your eyes to see the unseen battle. You end up as the people of God. One, it's easy for the enemy to defeat you because you don't recognize you're in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Yep. Right. got to understand that. You are in a spiritual battle. It is not a physical battle. I'm going to show you that tonight. I'm going to prove it to you. But if you're not aware of who you're fighting, then you spend your time, all of your energy and your effort, fighting the wrong enemy, only to end up, and if you're fighting the wrong enemy, even if you win that battle, you don't win the war because you fought the wrong thing. And it's a mistake. And Christians are ill-prepared for that today. First, they don't believe that that's really going on. And the little bit that we do believe, let's say you're in a church that teaches that, we think, uh, all we just need to say is I rebuke you and that's the end of it. But there's, there's more to it than that. So um, let me just jump in. What do we fight in this world real quickly? There are three things. It's not everything's the devil, just so that you know where your pastor is at. If you see a devil behind every doorknob in your house, you got problems, dude. I mean, that's not where we're going with this. But there is a devil, and he is real, and he hates you. And he will fight unfair, and he will do anything that he can do to take you down. And if you are unprepared for that, you're already at the bottom of the fight. You're not even on equal footing. So we fight three things. We fight, according to the Bible, we fight the world. Now, when I say the world, I'm not talking about the, the globe, the earth, what, what the Lord created. I'm talking about the system that we find inside the world. That when we look around, we see a fallen earth with, with an earthly system. Jesus said the cares of the world can come in and choke out the seed of God. The riches of the world, the deceitfulness of the world, the world system. Yes or no? We see that on an ongoing basis. You read about it in your newspaper every day. It's everywhere that you look. So we do have that battle right there, and that is one that we have to pay attention to. The flesh is also something you battle. And when I say the flesh, I'm not talking about the body that God created. I'm talking about the fallen inside of the When Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? The Bible says we're to nail the flesh to the cross. Jesus died to set us free from that flesh, Yes. Right? So we battle that. And then lastly, we do battle the devil. And this series is going to go after that part and talking about the enemy. So if you're taking the notes and you want to fill in the blank, the first one is to talk about the real enemy, Ephesians 6. So Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major metropolitan city uh, for their time. They're educated for their time. 
Uh, It's the place to go to. This is not Hickville. This is not, uh, people didn't just fall off the turnip truck that ended up in this city. This would be a, a, a metropolitan place, an educated place. People go and debate things there. And in the middle of that, Paul plants a church that has to figure out how in a hostile environment, in a world uh, and, and in a city that's against Christianity, right? They don't believe what, what, they don't believe in Jesus and they certainly don't believe in what believers stand for. They're hostile to it. Paul begins to talk about how we handle those things and how we deal with those things. And he gets into spiritual warfare. So Ephesians 6, Paul writes these words to a church trying to explain to them that it's not enough to just just try to figure out how we survive. We're fighting an enemy. So look at the words he chooses. We do not, what's the word? Wrestle. Wrestle. All right. So wrestle is a word used for a time that Paul lived in. It's not the same wrestle we have today. There's no WWE. Okay? There's no, so our boys wrestled, and there were rules to that wrestling. They, they had three minutes in each of their uh, there, what are they? What were they called? Three-minute period. Other wrestlers out here. Thank you very much. Three-minute periods. It was. I'll tell you about wrestling right now. They played football. Uh, they played basketball. They they played all sorts. Of, they were three-sport kids. But wrestling, wrestling was like having the most exciting part of a football game in three minutes. Man, it just. I I would find myself twisting around while they're wrestling, like grabbing by, and you know, just I would be so exhausted when they were done. This wrestling that Paul's talking about is wrestling that would have been familiar at the time. This is wrestling without rules. There's actually a word for it that I'm going to take you to. And so it's important because when you think of wrestling, this is not wrestle where you have two opponents. Even in, in, in a Greek thought, this is not two opponents, one trying to throw the other to get an advantage. This isn't that. Paul's using a word here that's, it's, it's more, uh, it has more to do with warfare, hand-to-hand combat. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he uses four descriptions for this unseen battle. Four descriptions against authorities in rank that we battle against. These aren't just These aren't just four adjectives. These literally are four descriptions of lower to middle to higher to highest rank. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities is one. Against powers is two. Against rulers of darkness of this age is three. And against spiritual hosts of, what's that word? Wickedness in heavenly places. So he's saying that in the atmosphere around us is an unseen battle that goes on. And Christians are wrestling. And I wrote in my notes, this is super important, right? You need to think about this. Uh, This implies ongoing combat. Believers must fight. That's the worst response anyone could have given in this room tonight. (laughs) Believers must fight. You have an enemy fighting you, you have to fight back. They're actually, when I was studying this, listen to this word. Um, so, so because there's no weight class in this wrestling. We have a weight class today. That means a little guy like me could go up against a big guy like John. That would not be fair to you, bud. No. <laughs> 
up fast, man, all over the place. So they had no weight class. Listen to this. No weight class. No, like, this guy's a champion, and so only, a, you know, like in a fight today, you have to work your way up to be able to fight the champion. In this, the champion could fight any newcomer. Now, imagine someone untrained, smaller, ending up against someone trained and ready to go, right? Would you call that unfair? Yes. I mean, without a doubt, that's unfair. Okay, so they had this. It, it, in the Greek, here was the word, uh, akinidi, and it means dust-free. So apparently there was a wrestler, uh, a fighter, that was, he was cut, he was ripped, right? And so he, there, the pomp and circumstance, he would take off his clothes. This dude was so ripped that when his opponents would see how ripped he was, a lot of them would just give up and never fight. And so he could win by what they called akinidi, which means dust. He never had to get dirty to fight. I'm saying that a lot of Christians give up and never want to get dirty because they see their opponent and they feel like, I can't beat him anyway, so why try? But here's the problem. You think that makes him turn his back and go away. It means he will slaughter you without you even trying. The word wrestle, you might want to write this down. The word that Paul is using here is pancratium. So it's not wrestle WWE. It's not wrestle like in the Olympics where there's rules. This is pancratium. And it's, uh, I, I guess the, the closest thing we would have would be like WWF. Except even in WWF, you've got, you know, you wear gloves and there's still some kind of rules and some kind of length of time. This pancratium was a combination of wrestling and boxing with no time limit, no rules. It was to the defeat, and at times it could be to the death. And here were the three things that were allowed, in fact, encouraged, and that the best, the best pancratium person, how would you, pancrati it? Pan pancreas, the best pancreas. Is that what you said, pancreas? Pancreatite. Pancreatite. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. The best pank, this is what he was expected to do. Um, while wrestling, his object was to gouge out the eyes of his opponent. Which, if you can do that, I mean, they're swinging wildly. So tell me that the enemy's number one tactic against believers is deception. Yes. To blind you to pull the wool over your eyes, yes. to cover you up so you don't even know what's going on. Yes. You don't even know how to fight. You don't know where to put your attention. You don't even know what you're fighting, yes or no. Yes. See, I just, while I was studying this, and I, I never saw this before, Paul's not talking about some, the gentle art of, listen, you see a good wrestler, there's an art to it. They are good at what they do, and it's interesting to watch. And if you think it's nothing more than just calm, you, you don't get wrestling. Wrestling is learning moves. It's a, there's an art to it. This is not art. This is brutality. This is like open-handed combat. Do whatever you have to do to win. So the first thing, and they were expected, was to try to gouge out the eyes of the opponent so that they would be blind. And I say that the enemy, the reason Paul's using this word, the enemy tries to blind his opponents. 
I'm going to show you a scripture in a minute that is so true. The second one, there were no rules when it comes to hitting below the belt. In fact, if you could do... So I'm trying to say this in a... Can you... You smart enough to know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, go ahead, Pastor, say it. Double dog dare you. Go on. And that's all you remember about this message too right there. Pastor said... Below the belt... Right? It was actually considered to be you did good if you could kick or hit below the belt in order to paralyze your opponent. How about this? You could bite. You could strangle. So I'm going somewhere with this. Does it ever feel like when you're fighting the enemy, he's absolutely unfair? So let me give you, um, I'll tell you for me, the most unfair way the enemy fights when he hits my family. Any parent in this room, think for one quick second, fight me and I don't like it. Kick me and I don't like it. Blind me and I'm mad when my eyes are finally opened. But go against my children. Go against my wife. First, I consider it to be highly unfair that the enemy would attack my family because he's trying to get to me. But the quickest way that he gets to me, is this not true for you? The quickest way against you is to hit your children, yes or no, or your grandchildren. It like, it, Kel, it, it's unfair. Is nothing about that that says it's right, and that's exactly why he does it. How about this? To hit your finances? You consider that to be like, hey... Come on, you want to fight, hit me, but to go against your finances, to choke finances off? Or to come against friends, separate friends? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No, my friend was a betrayer. But we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. My spouse was a... But you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You like that one? Yeah, I'm not going any further than that right there. <laughs> so a couple that ends up, and Don, couples, nobody comes to my office and says, how many times have I said this? Hey, we hate each other. Would you marry us? <laughs> nobody has ever come to my office. Nobody has ever said to me, dude, we fight better than anybody you've ever met, and what would make it better is if you would wet us so that we can't get away from each other. Nobody ever says that. They come to me and they say, I love this person. I'm committed to this person. I want to marry this person. And it used to be good enough for me. Like, okay, I'm sure you know what you're doing, right? (laughs) Now I ask the question, how do you know that you love them? I'm not trying to track, trip, mess up anybody. I'm looking for several words to come out next. Generally, if they say this person makes me feel good, I know my job is to let them know that's not what love is. Love is not how you make me feel. Because the person that makes you feel so good can also make you feel very bad. And don't believe it, get married. (laughs) Yes? Be real with me right now. I'm not my wife. No, then you're the one, sir. That's the... We all struggle with that, and it's the truth. So, So what words am I looking for? I want to serve this person... I want to give my life to this person. So love is not what you give to me. It's what I give to you. That's good. It really is good. 
people up in the front get it? How come you guys aren't getting it back here in the, in the back? Come on, John Dunn, come on. You'd have to consider this being divided to be unfair. And then, Steph, you fight this. And I, I can tell you for a fact, all right, just let me, you fight this. And this, fighting this day in and day out will wear you out yes. to the point you will finally just say, we're just not compatible for yeah. each other. So what the first thing the enemy does is to blind you, to deceive you. You know the worst part about being deceived is that a person who is doesn't know that they are. Think about that. Somebody who, they never go, hey, I'm deceived, you want to talk? It's just the opposite. I know exactly what I think, so let's talk to each other. Deception, deception, and I'm having fun with it right now, but deception is a powerful lie of the enemy, and I'm going to tell you the truth about something else too. You will never out-argue deception. You'll never out-yell deception. You can't out-scream deception unless the Lord lifts the veil. The person cannot see. Truth has to come in. Counseling, as good as counseling is, and as much as it means, counseling that doesn't help a person pass deception. Counseling can reinforce deception. Now you're right to feel that way. What a jerk you married. It gets quiet when I go to those places right there. I, I, so I'm talking about the enemy fighting unfair. Paul is using a term for wrestle, pancratium. Pancratium was a mix of wrestling, boxing, no rules, any size opponent, a large person could fight a small person, an experienced person could go against a novice, it did not matter. One of the things that said, they fought in the sun. They wouldn't fight in the shade. You had to overcome the sun too in order to, to win this thing. The last one is that it could be a life and death struggle. The goal of a true pancreatia, how's that? was to kill you. And pastor, I, I don't know if I see that in that scripture. How about John 10.10? 10? Jesus said the thief's purpose is to and destroy. One more time. John 10.10. 10. The thief, the devil's the thief. The thief's person is to, the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. He has one it's not fighting fair. It's not looking simply for you to say, okay, I give up. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take everything that you have. He doesn't want you to get up again. He doesn't want there to be anything left. He wants you to fight a battle too where you don't see so that you'll do stupid things like, I'm quitting. I'm leaving. I'm done. And you feel right. But you are dead right. And it will kill you. Because you are eating poison that you do not know. Then you'll come back and say, how long the poison takes to affect? If only it was 12 hours. If only it was 15 minutes. Because then you could point to it. I did this. I must back up from this. But the poison gets into you and it can take months. It can take, it can take six months. It can take a year. And you find yourself in the most god-awful of places. What happened to me? 
So you go talk to a pastor. What happened to me? And you're, here's what I did for the last two weeks. It wasn't two weeks ago that you ate the poison. Dude, the enemy blinded you, fought unfairly against you, and now he is stealing, killing, and destroying you. So will you die and go to heaven? Yes, but you live on this earth like it's hell. No Christian lives that way on this earth. Really? It's what makes church successful in this day and age. And I'm not being mean. And I know, dude, I know I come into your living room and move your furniture. But it's with the hope of, see, see this. This battle cannot be fought. It cannot be fought in the natural. You cannot fight this with natural eyes. You need supernatural eyes to be able to see. You've got to ask God, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see this. And then you fight with the blood of Jesus and you fight with the authority of a risen Savior and you fight with what ground Jesus has taken over the enemy. You don't go out into battle by yourself, unskilled, unable, and, and, and especially without armor. Put on armor. And God's given armor for you to be able to fight and to fight well. Mm. Pancratium. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, so John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. The second part of that verse is, but my purpose is to give life and the most abundant life that a person can have. What a, what a dichotomy against an enemy and a friend. One is stealing, killing, and destroying. One has come to give. So I wrote down this. Maybe you want to write the sentence down. The proof of a thief at work in your life is. Say it one more time. Think. The proof, Don, the proof <laughs> of a thief. Do you guys mind me calling your names out while I'm preaching? Is it by like, ah, it's like you're back in school. He's asking me to answer a question. No, no, just, it's all rhetorical. The proof of a thief at work in your life is what? It's simple. What does a thief do? So the proof that a thief is in your life is? Say it, Kathy Melson, what? Theft. Stuff is missing from your life. If you don't have peace, what happened? Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus is weak. Jesus is a liar. Jesus is unable. Let every man be found a liar. Our God is not a liar. Yes. If peace is missing from your life, you have a thief. An unseen pickpockets work best in the dark when they can't be seen. In Israel, when we go into places where we know there are pickpockets, all we tell the group to do is take caution right now so that you make it tough for a thief to steal from you. Leave your wallet in your back pocket. You're asking for trouble. Don't pull your money out like, hey, thief. Stupid. Spiritually, I wonder how many of us. Things are missing when a thief is at work in your life. Shame. If you're dealing with shame, Jesus died on a cross. And all shame was put upon his body. He felt shame so that you never have to feel one day of shame in your life. He felt separated from the Father 
so that you never claim the words, where's God? Why has he forsaken me? He did it so that you don't have to. The blinding is when the enemy can convince a person that ah, that's not true for me. God didn't do I don't care. So you live then with shame. Or you live with a toxic life that's anything but life. One of the things I've always been passionate about is that the people that call on the name of Jesus should leave here living like they call on the name of Jesus. That the promises of God are yours. They're for today. They're not for a bygone era. They weren't for yesterday. All of God's promises, the Bible says, are yes and amen. He gives all of them to Hey, Amen. They're yours. And the enemy will say to you, no, they're not. You have forsaken them. You've done things that keeps you from being able to have them. I know who you really are. You're not worthy of those things. And God is trying to open your eyes, sir. He's trying to open your eyes right now. He's trying to get a hold of your heart right now. And he's trying to tell you who you really are, friend. Who you really are. The enemy loses when you see. The enemy loses when you take your place. The enemy is pushed back not because you get angry, but because you stand on what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. Do you know the only name under heaven? The Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That the dead come back to life. That the demonic are stopped in their tracks. The name is Jesus. That name has such power. Jesus. Jesus. I speak Jesus over you, friend. I speak it over your mind and over your soul and over your life. Jesus. Peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus. Mm. Yes. I was a young pastor one time. <laughs> and I ended up with this uh, talking to this girl who was messed up and the Bible says that the enemy can't come underneath the fact that Jesus is Lord so I said I want you to say out loud with me that Jesus is Lord and she couldn't say it and she tried to choke the words out dude something else started speaking out of her mouth and I'm like what are you going to do now John yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need a counselor over here please come come quickly the only thing I knew to do was to start speaking Jesus. So I just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And first she got louder. But then it came down. And then in Jesus' name, I cast that thing out of her. And it had to go. Not, look at me. You say you don't believe that? Are you Xing out most of your New Testament? Ignoring the Old Testament? Can I talk about marriage real quick? The proof of a thief at work in your life is that things are missing. So that if you're married, and again, no one ever comes to me and says we hate each other. We do not get along. 
the, the truth is that when people come and say, hey, we, we just, we don't get along, I, I, I understand. I do, I understand. I get the nuance. I'm a merciful person, but I'm also, the realist inside of me is that at one time you did get along and somewhere you've gotten away from that. The enemy has stolen something in the relationship. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They naturally get along with each other. They're in this wonderful relationship. They're naked and they don't even know it. That's how comfortable they are with each other. The Lord says you can do anything except eat of the knowledge of good and evil because the day you eat it, you shall surely die. So they eat it and they don't die instantly. They die spiritually. The poison took a little while. But their eyes are opened, it says, but the wrong kind of open. They lose their innocence. And the very first thing that they do, listen, is that they feel shame with each other. They cover up and they hide from God. And everything now is hard instead of easy, yes or no. So that when two people are brought together and they love each other and they're together, the Holy Spirit is doing something wonderful. And then as time goes by, and it goes like this, and you're covering up, and you feel shame, and you're hiding, and you're blaming. It's not the proof that you have a bad marriage. It's the proof that you're normal, but you have an unseen enemy. The proof of a thief in your life is that something's missing. What's mi- what was missing for Adam and Eve? Their unity. What was missing for Adam and Eve? Their innocence. What's missing in so many marriages today? Those exact, the enemy has no new thing he can do. But he works what he does exceptionally well. He's a fantastic liar. And you empower the lie when you say yes to it. And the only way to disempower the lie is for the Lord to show you what the lie is and you embrace truth instead of a lie. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hmm. Okay. I only have two points tonight. I know you feel like it's 15, but that really, that was only one. Here's two. Open our spiritual eyes. I love this passage of Scripture from the Old Testament because it shows us something that is, is so powerful, is so, I, I mean, it's, it's a picture. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, He opens the window for a moment to let us see into the supernatural. And that's why this story is here. So when King Aaron was at war with Israel, So he's at war with Israel, God's people. He would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elijah the prophet, the man of God, would warn the king. The Lord would tell him. And so Elisha would run to the king of Israel. Do not go near that place for the Armenians uh, are planning to mobilize their troops in that area right there. So the king of Israel would send word to the palace indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elijah warned the king so that, he would not, so that he would be on the alert there, right? He was ready. He wouldn't go to where that, that, king, uh, that, that, that king against Israel was going to put all of his forces. And the king of Aram became very upset over this. And he called his officers together and he demanded, which of you is a traitor who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, it's that Elisha. The prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom, gulp, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. Why didn't the Lord tell Elijah this time? Do you understand? 
every time he told Elisha, don't let the army be assembled here. They're assembling. If you, the best fight you ever have to fight is the one that you don't have to fight. Yeah. Yes. If God's going to fight it for you, right? Okay. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city that Elisha's at. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Don't be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on our side than on their side. That's one statement to make, but dude, you better know what you're talking about. And then Elijah prayed this prayer. Is it okay for us to pray this prayer? Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Then the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He saw into the supernatural for just a moment. When Elijah said there's more for us than against us, Elijah could see what the servant could not see. He was in that place with the Lord. But he asked the Lord, would you open his eyes so that he can see what I'm seeing right now? And there are more angels and there are more chariots and there is more protection than you have any idea around you. But if all you can see is the enemy, look at me. I'm going to tell you a story real quick. I wrote this message, and it's like all hell broke out this week. Now, I was, I'm thinking, okay, I get it. And I, I can't even tell you what it is because it would expose things that I, as pastor, I have to keep my mouth shut about. And my back starts hurting out of the blue like it did in the old days. Like, it's hurting hurting, hurting. And I leave my house today on my way to preach this message. Listen, just listen to this. You're going to laugh at it. You're going to think it's funny, but I stop at the mailbox to put some outgoing mail into the mailbox. Right? So I pull my car over in front of We got a neighborhood mailbox. I put my mail in it. I turn around and a dude in a Jeep is driving by and he's flipping me off. No reason. No, just flipping me off. Just literally driving by slow. The mean look on his face, just flipping me off. And I prayed for him. That's what I should have done. I jumped in my car, turned the fastest you I could, chased him up the street, honking the horn, flip me off, pull over. Not only do I want to know why, but you got something to say? Don't say it behind your car. So we get to the stop sign at the top of the street. His window's down. I put my down and I'm yelling, pull over, pull over. He turns around and looks at me and takes off. And suddenly the Lord goes, what are you doing? Does he have a gun in his car? You're acting like an idiot, pastor. You're getting ready to go pe preach on spiritual warfare, John. You're going to tell people that you've got to be able to see what the real enemy is. You've got to ask the Lord to open your eyes all week long. God, open my eyes so that I don't spend my time fighting things that I shouldn't, that I can just let stuff go, that I don't need to waste my energy on. I don't know why the guy was, maybe his wife just said something to him and he hung up and I was the closest way for him to let it out. I don't know. But I am ready 
Nobody else like that in the room, right? Nobody. Anybody? Please, thank you. One person, two people. I, I, pray for me. If, if, don't judge me. Pray for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. My defenses are low because my back is hurting so bad. It's been a crappy week. A crappy... I'm just... My mind is... And this happens. And if you're like, I can't follow a man like that. Please go find a church where the man is perfect. I, and let me know and I'm going to come with you. I Just let me know. And so I called Chris right away and I said, my love, you are not going to believe what happens. And I'm thinking she's going to say, how could somebody do that to you? And she goes, what is wrong with you chasing a guy down like that? I'm like, ah! not called to hear that. He was wrong. Whether he did or not, he's not my enemy. I really get to decide who my enemy is. It's a waste of my energy and a waste of my time. And then all the way over here, I'm condemned knowing I'm going to stand up and have to preach this word. And then Amy says this to me when we get, there's a scripture that says, be willing to, to show hospitality because some have entertained angels unaware. Do you know the scripture? Okay, now I'm, this is not scripture. Amy just says, she just said, Dad, is it possible that sometimes we end up dealing with de- demons unaware? So I think we assume that the only reason an angel can take on a human form is because they're under the power of God. But demons are fallen angels with obviously some type of power. Am I making any sense right now? I wasted all of my energy, all my time. And then my back only hurt worse. Only hurt worse. Okay, now listen. Opposition, please listen to me. Opposition of truth in the world today. And there's a lot of opposition to truth in the world today, yes or no? Isaiah says, woe to you when right is wrong, when wrong is right, when evil is put for good and good is put for evil. Do we live in that day? Yes or no? And it's changed in our lifetime. Not that there hasn't been evil in the world, but it has intensified. It is, warfare is all around us right now. Opposition of truth in the world today causes me, my first response, my go-to is anger. When I, when I hear things on television that are against truth, does anybody else get angry about it? I get angry. I don't, I don't think in terms of like my anger gets stirred up against it. And by the way, God made me that way. You can be angry and not sin. You can. God can use your anger. But you've got to be very careful with that. It, it's, it's passion. It can, it can point. But I get frustrated by it. And then I want to withdraw from the world. Anybody else? I just want to pull back from it. I want to protect my family. I want to put my arms around my church. I just, world, go on to hell. There you, so go. We're going to stay here. That's terrible. I know. But here's what the word says. And here's what I have to live by. In gently, this is uh, 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul talking to his protege. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. I, for me, knocks me on the ground. 
gently instruct those who oppose the truth. God, in our world today, tell me that yelling is not an all-time high. We just yell. Divide and yell. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Now, look at this. Because Paul is giving a secret to spiritual warfare. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts because you cannot change a mind unless you change a heart. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. And what is the trap? Jesus used that, that, that man with legion, a thousand demons in him that he casted out. The next time that that man uh, is seen by the town folks, it says he's in his right mind. People are not in their right mind when they're deceived. They're not in their right mind. And so we're screaming against a mind that's not right. And he's saying, you need to gently speak to this in the hope that God can change their heart. Because only God changing their heart will cause their eyes to be opened and for them to embrace the truth. We're like, no, I'm going to yell, I'm going to scream, I'm going to be mad, I'm going to get a sign, I'm going to protest, I'm going to picket. Get after it today. Look at this last sentence. For they have been held captive by the devil to do whatever he wants them to do. So who's our enemy? The person who's being held captive or the enemy who's holding them captive? The enemy? So why do we hate people who are held captive? The Lord's got to open our eyes. Church, can people come in here who are enemy to hear the truth? I hope that that is true. I got one last story to tell you. I'm seven, I'm eight minutes in deficit. Chris says, don't tell him, but I... I don't want to deceive you. <laughs> the problem with deception is you don't know when you're deceived. Monterey, Mexico. Um, I was on a mission trip several years ago, and we were using... Uh, door-to-door evangelism, we were using dramas, we were using all sorts of tools to cast a net for salvation. And the guide that we were with, one of the missionaries we support today, um, David said, John, do you think your group is up to go into a difficult area? And I said, um, <laughs> this is probably more bravado than it was wisdom at the time. But I said, yeah, we're up for a difficult area. So he says, I'm going to take you to an area called La Terra, the female coyote. But here's what it means. It's a, it's a place, Coyotera means to trap a male coyote. He says, so this place is full of prostitutes and transvestites and people like that that men are going into. And they're there to, that's why they call it, it's the place for men to be trapped at. Do you want to try to go in there and do ministry? Now I'm like, ah, I, you know, Dave, I mean, but I said, yeah, let's do it. So I warned the kids ahead of time, and we go into this area. Every place we'd gone to in Monterey, we'd had unbelievable success. I, I'm, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but in the hundreds of people that had came to Christ that week, this is the last place we go to. And we get there, 
and it was everything he said it was. And these kids have an eye-opening experience, and I'm like, how am I going to explain this to parents? And, you know, I might have made a big mistake here. Um, and so we, we fan out, and we're using music, and we ask everybody to come to the center of the town, to the plaza, um, which is a, a common thing in most Mexican villages and towns. And so uh, Cinco Minuto, five minutes, be in the plaza. And we get them to the plaza, and we do our drama, and they laugh at us. So we try one more time, and they begin to mock us. And they all just turn and walk away. And we have been so successful. Kids are like, what's going on here, pastor? And so I'm just, Darren, I'm ready to like, you know what? These are just, they're just lost. They're just, they're hard. And God's given them over to their, all the things we could think of to say. And then I have this strange thought. We have a paradoxical kingdom, Mike, that we live and serve in. If you want to be greatest, you have to be the least. If you want to be first, you have to be. If you get hit on one cheek, hit them before they can do it again. Turn. If they want your coat, give them your shirt too. If they want you to go one mile, go two. I mean, it's this paradoxical upside down Messed up kingdom that the world doesn't understand in any way, shape, or form. And that's the one we're called to live in, and the only way we can succeed is to be in that kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. So I, I say to the kids, uh, just one last effort. Let's just kneel down here in the street. Let's just humble ourselves in the street, and let's, let's start praying for this place. We walked in like we're going to be successful no matter what, because we've been successful no matter what. But maybe we just need to pray and we just need to humble ourselves. So these kids, man, they kneel in this filthy, dirty air. I mean, it's, it's drugs. I, my description won't help you right now, but just maybe try to go there for a second. And the kids start weeping over this thing. And I'm watching this youth group weep over this area. And their weeping and crying out to God attracts a crowd. Bigger than we had trying to do it our way. And so they stand up and they had this silly little <laughs> drama that they did that I thought was just, it was just so silly. And they did it. And then they asked for people who want to know Jesus. And the hardest people you've ever seen in your life step forward. And I think they don't understand. So I make the guy through the interpreter. I give a second altar call to make sure they understand and more people step forward into it. And a little bit of the kingdom of God comes to earth for a few minutes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is our job. Jesus' job to get us to heaven, but our job to bring heaven to earth. Yes or no? Agree? Agree? I mean, how are you living, Christian, if you don't agree with that? And I saw something, I'm just like, God, we spend our time so mad at people. We throw people away. We judge things. And I'm not saying that sometimes when you wrestle flesh, flesh can be hateful and nasty yes, and yes. ugly. And sometimes you have to be defensive. I am not saying. But the Bible tells us we don't wrestle flesh and blood naturally as our enemy. It's principalities, spiritual wickedness, power. Things in higher places. 
that are doing everything they can to take as many down because time is short. And for a believer, it's not heaven and hell, but for a believer, it's allowing it all to be lost. And if you're in the camp of, we just need Jesus to come back, amen to that. I want him to come back, but I want you to think about something. C.S. Lewis said this. He's the playmaster. And as soon as he steps on the stage, everything freezes and nothing can change. And everyone who's lost will be lost. Think carefully about that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But the church, man, dude, when does the church rise up? Under the blood and the anointing and the power of Jesus. And fight like we're supposed to fight. It's not legislation. It's heart change. You cannot change a mind unless you change a heart. And God changes hearts. He changed mine. And if you love Jesus, He changed your heart. True or not? Mm. I think I'm done. 2 Corinthians 10. I will, I'll be done with this. So Paul writes, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not knives and guns and sticks. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds are arguments. Strongholds are people who are deceived. Stronghold is the lie that the enemy tells. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We can pull down strongholds and advance the kingdom of God today. Church, rise up. So here's, I'm just going to tell you what I think. Most people are caught in the battle of their lives with the enemy and never feel, I could do this right. I'm, Pastor, I'm just trying to survive and get through this. Come on. Come on. So what I will teach, who are you in Christ? And what can you do in Christ? And how are you to live? And yes, there is present darkness, but we are present light. We are present light. And I will say it again, and I know it sounds funny, but if you want to know how it all turns out, read the end of the book. We win. The devil loses, and we win. We win. Rise up, church. Rise up. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this time to teach this church. I thank you for people whose hearts are hungry for Jesus, who are hungry for spiritual truth, who are hungry, Father God, not to just sit and survive, but want to advance and want to see the kingdom of God come to earth. God, I look around the room. You cannot judge by a face what's going on within a heart. I know that some of you right now, you are in the battle for your life. So you've come to the right place at the right time. I'm not down on you. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying you need to win that fight and you need to fight to win. And you've got the one on your side who is able. The blood of Jesus makes you able. The blood of Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the blood of Jesus. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. We'll talk about the armor. Pastor Jake's going to teach on the armor in one of these messages. And it's good. The sword of the Spirit in particular. The Lord doesn't and hasn't put you here so that you just get slaughtered or so that you give up without even a fight. And yep, the enemy may be unfair. He may hit below the belt. He may attack things that you think, I I just was unprepared for that. So tonight, here's what we pray. Listen, is this you? 
God, open my eyes. Open my spiritual eyes to see what I'm actually fighting against. Open my mouth, God, not to curse, not to revile, not to simply yell, but to say the things that you would have me say to the situation. To speak faith and to speak power and to speak promise. God, send your angels to fight for us, to war for us, to minister. God, for the one that is just barely hanging on, Father, show them that one in Christ is more powerful than the enemy of our soul. You are. May the Lord open your eyes. May the Lord raise up a church that recognizes their strength and their power and what they can do in Christ. Not as a group in a church, but in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. God, wake us up. Folks, I'm just going to tell you right now, the enemy hates this message. I spent a week battling, but I'm on top, not on the bottom. And I'm delivering it to you. And so I want to say to you, if you're going to get serious about this, then you need to recognize you need to be praying right now and you need to be pleading the blood of Jesus and you need to ask the Lord to show you if you're going to fight for your family, if you're going to fight for a loved one, if you're going to fight for a friend who's deceived, you need to get under the blood of Jesus right now. You cannot fight this in the flesh. You can't fight it with natural strength. You cannot solve a spiritual problem with a human tool. We need the Lord's help. God, rally us today. God, we don't want to just watch it all. It's like, oh, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. God, you've called us to be light in the darkness. Salt. Come on. Church, rise up. Take your place. Be who God's called you to be. May the Lord open your eyes. May he show you things this week that you can win, that you can redeem, that you can go after that you can find the authority that you have in Jesus. Pray for your pastors and pastor this week. Pray the Lord protects us as we write these messages and seek God and push our church towards, towards victory. Yes. And we thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.